right, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders and how to get your life back. My name is Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me for this episode today. Um, so for those of you who are new to it, uh, to this podcast, uh, this is a question and answer based podcast. So if you have questions about uh, anxiety stuff, if you have questions about social anxiety or specific phobias or about um or about hypochondria, or about any of the myriad of subtypes of, uh, of OCD that exist. Um, I'm here to answer those questions and to try to guide you along the way, if at all possible. Uh, trying to give you a little bit of information about um, how to face some of this stuff. I know that uh, therapy can be hard. I know finding a therapist, paying for therapy, doing therapy can be tough. So uh, I'm trying to give you as much information as I possibly can can. As I tell everybody, my job is to put myself out of a job. And uh, I feel like that is the role of every therapist out there. At least um, that's what I think. But those people didn't ask me, but um, I'm here with the microphone, so I get to say this stuff to you. So if you have a question about um, uh, OCD or anxiety that you would like me to, um, to, to answer, to talk about here on the podcast, Go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can submit a question there. This be a submit a question or, or ask a question. I always forget what it is. One of these days, I'm going to look it up before I say it on the podcast. That ain't today, though. So go check it out over there if you want to ask a question. You can fill it out there. I will read it. I will consider it, and I will get back to to you. Um, feel free to also go check me out at uh, Fearcast Podcast over at Instagram. I will periodically put things up there, but as I've mentioned before, I am not good at the social medias. Now, that being said, this coming Friday, so I'm recording this on a Saturday, but this is going to come out on Monday, hopefully as per usual. And this coming Friday, I'm going to be teaming up with Kelly Frankie. So she is at Kelly Frankie over at uh, the Instagrams. Um, and she is a fantastic, fantastic therapist, very knowledgeable, very kind, very warm, and very social media savvy. So um, if you have done anything on the Instagrams uh, uh, related to OCD, you've probably come across her posts. So she and I are going to be teaming up to do a live question and answer. Um, so you can go check that over there. Um, I will be likely posting the video of it um, on my page afterwards, and she'll likely be posting it on hers. So you will eventually be able to see it. But um, if you want to see it live, if you want to have your questions answered, or at the very least to have us consider it, um, uh, you can check us out when we do it live. I think we're going to be doing it around 1.30, and that's Pacific time. So if you are anywhere in the world, Friday Pacific time at uh, 1.30, check us out. Um, we may not be able to get to every question. I think I've already been asked, gosh, like eight questions or so. I think she's gotten a gaggle of them. I don't know how many we're going to be able to get to in the hour or so that we're going to do, but we are going to try to do our best. <sighs> All right, everybody. So to this episode, you know what? I am going to break from tradition, and I am not going to have much more preamble than I already have. I've gotten so many questions um, on this podcast. Now, first off, to all of you who are sending me questions about depersonalization and derealization, I see you, I hear you, I read you. 
I'm going to do an episode on it. I just haven't gotten enough time to sit down and do one of my omnibus episodes on depersonalization. I want to. It's a super interesting topic. Depersonalization feels super uncomfortable, so I hear you. And I'm going to eventually do a whole episode on it. Um, today is not going to be that episode. But today, I am going to be answering three questions. So, I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with something different. Instead of going longer on fewer questions, I'm going to go shorter on more questions. So I'm mixing it up, taking a risk, trying something different. If you hate it, if you listeners out there hate it, email me. If you said, hey, we really like having longer, we, we want to hear you yammer on about the same thing for longer as opposed to yammer on shorter over many things, let me know. Um, I'm fine doing either one of these. It's just a matter of whether or not it's going to work, if I'm going to get the information in, and whether or not uh, people actually want to listen to that type of format. So, um, as I've mentioned before, if you have any feedback for the show, uh, message me as well. Um, I, I'm more than happy to hear some feedback. Uh, do more of this. Stop doing a bunch of that. Um, whatever it is, whatever I can do to make this show better or more interesting, I certainly am interested. Um, I haven't gotten a whole lot of feedback, and uh, those of you who have provided feedback, uh, it's been... Oh, overwhelmingly positive and um, as I've as I've said before it just warms my my black cold empty heart uh, to hear those things so I greatly appreciate it um, if you have constructive feedback great um, but um, oh if, if you if you just hate it and you're just sitting there going Kevin's the worst it doesn't know anything he's responding this wrong and he's not saying the things you should have said if that's you and just grumbling because you have to listen to my dumb voice don't listen and that's okay. Your pain is on you, not on me. So anyhow, uh, we're going to get off to the questions now. All right. So this first question comes from Jack. Jack asks, Hi, Kevin. First off, thank you for all you do with the podcast. It's helped me a great deal with my HOCD, and it's recently been getting a lot easier to accept and move on from the thoughts. However, there's one thing that still makes me very anxious. Is it possible for HOCD to latch onto certain people almost like a crush? I'd be hanging out with my male friend or acquaintance, and my brain will tell me, what if you secretly have feelings for your friend? which will lead me to feel anxious near them. I never thought this way towards my male friends previously in my life, and always found it very easy and comfortable to be around them. Now, however, I avoid meeting certain friends because of how anxious being around them makes me. Imagining myself in a romantic or sexual relationship with these, quote, crushes makes me feel extremely anxious and even a bit nauseous, but I keep wondering if I'm repressing some part of myself. Any advice on how to help deal with this. Thank you. All right, Jack. Thank you so much for this question. This is a, this is a really good one. I think a, a lot of people have had questions like this, and I've certainly worked with a number of folks where their HOCD does, in fact, latch on to just, it can latch on to a certain person. It can latch on to a, a group of friends. Because um, remember, it, it, our anxiety is going to latch on to the things that we care about the most. 
it's our brain's way of saying, partially it's our brain's way of saying, hey, if something went south in this area of your life, you value this a lot. So if it went south here, wouldn't that be terrible? So let's try to protect this and make sure that nothing messes with this in any sort of way. Yes, it can get more complicated, but that's for a separate conversation. But as I mentioned, HOCD can grab onto friends and grab onto groups of friends. Now I'll say this, just because it's common doesn't mean you aren't attracted to them. So I'm going to put an asterisk by this. In my notes, I've asterisk by this because we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But it's common. So to answer your question, it's common. So you mentioned as part of your fear that you're wondering if I'm oppressing some part of myself, yourself. Um, so I mean, it's a good question. It's also one of those big fears that uh, that your brain is giving you, right? You're feeling this feeling. It feels very, very real. You're having these thoughts. I mean, aren't we supposed to listen to our thoughts? Sarcasm in there. If you, 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 you could probably tell. But we have these thoughts, we have these feelings, and they round up, or they feel like they, they, they round up the thought to more important because it feels so important. Um, as we know, that is emotional reasoning. We've talked about that a good gaggle of times. Um, but what if I'm repressing some part of myself? Now, some of the core fear that often happens with HOCD is, again, what if my life is going to be ruined because I learned this thing about myself? Or what if I'm not with the right person or the right type of person? Usually that, again, leads to, well, I'm never going to be happy. My life's going to feel empty. All this stuff has to change. My relationships with everybody else and everything that I'm ever going to do is going to change, or I'm not truly going to know myself. It can be anything. It can be so much more of that, too. Now, of course, one of the things that we have to do, and any person who, any reasonable person, if they got this thought, well, they're going to think about it for a hot second, right? They're going to think about, all right, I wonder if I'm repressing a part of myself. Well, am I? Is there any evidence for it? Can I think about a time that I that I am actually repressing it? Is, have I ever truly been attracted to someone of the same sex in the past? Uh, have I ever been attracted to one of my buddies in the past? I mean, to be to say it more simply, have I ever really, really been honest about my history of my sexuality or my interests? Now, all of these questions. Um, I am certain that you have already asked them. You've already asked them a bazillion times. So this is not me saying that you need to launch into them again. But let me ask you this, Jack. Did you ever get to a conclusion in any of that effort? You probably did. Well, you probably did for a hot second. Um, likely speaking, because it's HOCD, you likely came back to over and over and over again that it hasn't been consistent with you, has not been consistent with you. It has instead been more true that historically speaking, you have been heterosexual, likely speaking. Again, I don't know you. I just got this paragraph from you. But as we know that once we get that answer, the doubt creeps in. We start asking questions again. We don't feel fully satisfied because that anxiety, that that hole in our heart has not been fully filled. Uh, it, it has not, not been answered. But again, nothing is going to fully effectively answer that HOCD question. And since it keeps coming up, since you keep worrying about it, we can likely assume that this is part of your OCD. Now, all of this part so far has been about challenging the legitimacy of that thought, right? Now, as part of that, we, we also need to look at, you know, the, the potential truthfulness of that feared thought, right? Um, what if I'm attracted to my friends? Well, Jack, take this in the best way, and this is where that asterisk comes in, is that you are attracted to your friends. You are attracted, maybe not sexually, but you like them as friends, right? 
But your anxiety is rounding that up. It says, I like them, so I must like, like them, or really like them, or like them in that way, right? Or what if you do? Then it's going to ruin everything. We can acknowledge in this that, yes, I, I, I like my friends. I am attracted to them in the most broadest sense of the term. Our anxiety then will take it that one step further that then feels inaccurate, feels like it's not truly who it is that you are. So, Jack, what are some things that you can do about this? Was part of your question. Um, first, we need to accept that that thought is there, right? That thought is in your mind. We can't pretend like it's not there. Don't pretend like it's not there. But we also need to remember that not every thought that goes through our mind deserves our attention. Not every feeling that we have is indicative of who we truly are deep down. But to make the effort of accepting and acknowledging the feelings and the thoughts that we have in each of these moments as just part of our experience, but not necessarily indicative of who it is that we are or will be, right? Now, it might be because as part of everything that we do, we need to accept the uncertainty of the outcome. Jack, I don't know if you are going to have a wonderful, happy relationship with one of your buddies for the rest of your life. And neither do you. And neither does anybody else who's listening to this. But right now, you're not. So, we're going to keep moving forward in life. Assuming it's not going to happen. Hoping it's not going to happen, perhaps. So, we don't know if the what the future is going to hold for you. But one of the things you did say is, I avoid meeting certain friends. Well, Jack, one of the most important things that we can do is to go against what our urgencies are, our compulsions are in this, our urge to do compulsions. That's probably the clearer way of saying it. So, you said, I, I avoid meeting with these friends. Well, not anymore, you're not. In order to face this, in order to overcome this sense of HOCD, you are going to have to face those people and be around them, and be open to the possibility that maybe, Jack, you are truly going to discover that that crush is legit and real and lasting and the answer to all of your heart's desires. Maybe, right? But maybe not. But we don't know. That's the part of uncertainty we need to accept. Certainly, you accept that there's that thought. All right. Thanks, Brain, for that suggestion but I'm going to go hang out with my buddies because I like hanging out with my buddies. I'm really good at it. They like me. I like them. I like doing stuff with them. Cool. Go do it. And be open to the possibility that, that maybe it's going to happen. Now, that is an each and every step sort of proposition. Am I going to discover now? Okay, I didn't. All right. Well, how about now? Did I discover it? No. Okay. Well, how about now? Did I discover it now? No. All right. Now, Obviously, this can feel very compulsive, right? Because it seems like everything that we're doing is constantly checking about whether or not we are truly in love with our friend. I'm not asking you to do that or to spend all that time attending to that feeling, but that's metaphorically what we're doing, right? Every moment is that moment that we could discover that we're truly gay, but we go into our life not knowing and we have to wait. Now, in the course of doing that, go live your life. And part of living your life means developing relationships with your buddies and having fun and doing weird and fun, cool stuff that we do with our friends, right? So that is one of the most important things that you need to do. 
Now, another really important thing that you can do, and you've heard me talk about uh, scripting before. So I don't know if you've ever watched the show Bob's Burgers. Um, this is one of my uh, favorite shows. It's a uh, ridiculous cartoon because I am a uh, childish man, and um, I will watch cartoons from time to time. I apologize for nothing. So as part of this show, Bob's Burgers, there's a character on it named Tina. Tina's a teenage girl. And what she does, because she is a, um, a very interesting sort of um, youth. Um, so you've heard of, uh, you might have heard of something called fan fiction. Fan fiction is uh, in, um, I guess, comic book or sci-fi or fantasy circles. Um, there are people who are write their own stories uh, about these, about characters, um, in, in doing their own thing, doing the thing that the the author, who is you know not a sanctioned legit author, will will write these very elaborate uh, uh, stories um, with their favorite characters going on their own adventures, and sometimes these characters have sexual relationships with one another that were never intended to happen by the original authors of whatever that thing is. So, um, I think fan fiction, at least in my assumption, that's mainly what it is. If you don't think that's what it is, email me, email me and let me know. Um, do not email me your fan fiction. I should say that. Uninterested. Actually, kind of interested, but mainly uninterested. Okay. So, so in this in the show the the uh, so Tina has this thing called erotic friend fiction. So. That's what she writes about. She she writes about how some of her friends that, you know, in her friend group are, you know, secretly hooking up with one another and are making out. And her big thing is, just, is butts. So they're all going to grab each other's butts. And she wants to grab that person's butt. And uh, they're going to grab her butt. And she also really likes zombies. So there are zombies grabbing each other's butts. And in the cartoon, they the butt breaks off because they're zombies and they're decomposing. Anyways, the whole point is she has this book of erotic friend fiction. Jack, I want you to write erotic friend fiction. I want you to write stories about how you're hooking up with your buddies and how some of your buddies are hooking up with their buddies and how you know all your friend group you guys are all playing xbox and then there's this big orgy that breaks out whatever it is to write these stories to play with that thought now if it sounds silly it should be because it can be now there can be this spectrum of writing scripts where um on the one like really hard and um it is serious and it is it is hardcore and it is it is fearful um and that's and that's one option and it's it's a very effective side of it the other side of it is you write it to the point where it kind of sounds goofy that can be a good start, especially if the subject of your script is so uncomfortable. You can simply start with writing it and it kind of feels silly. Um, good. But what you're doing with that is you're still engaging that thought. If it sounds silly, you might not be feeling as much anxiety. You might not be feeling that that nausea that you're talking about. Um, and it may be a way to get you into that thought and to go, you know what? I was able to think about making out with some of my buddies in this really ridiculous way. And it was fine. And I was able to survive that. And I didn't feel those feelings. And then over the course of continuing to do this, you can go to a more intense um, subject matter um, and making it more graphic or whatever you need to do to address the fears. But, um, but Jack, I want you to write erotic friend fiction. Um, 
that's your goal. Um, if you don't, that's fine. It's up to you. I'm just I'm just here answering your your question. So, I mean, those would be two things that I think would be really helpful. Of course, there are a bunch of other things that can certainly be helpful in this and elaborating on acceptance and, and even exposure options. And to that point, if you're not working with a therapist on this, it certainly would be a good idea to do that. Now, I'm also going to go back on what I just said. So, Jack, if you write some erotic friend fiction um, as part of this, um, email it because I will read it if you're comfortable with it. I will read it on a future episode because I would love other people to hear what that sounds like. And it would be evidence that you did it. And it would be great for this community to then hear what a script from a listener sounded like, right? So if you, if you do write it, and if you feel comfortable sending it in, again, um, Jack, your name's not Jack. I know that, but they, not everyone else does, right? So change the names, change the location, who knows? But I'd love to hear what that sounds like. And I think all of our listeners would like to as well. So uh, that is, for the most part, the only um, uh, uh, fan fiction, erotic friend fiction, that I would like to hear and read. So, um, Jack, I hope that answers your question. hope that kind of gives you a direction to start working on, uh, working on with this. But again, thank you so much for the question and good luck. All right, so my next question comes from Paul. Paul says, Hi, after years of working on myself, I developed a hyper-awareness of not one thing in particular, but of just me in general. My awareness has always concentrated on me. I felt locked inside of my own head, so I struggled to connect and to be present with the outside world. I then started to worry about my awareness being on me, tried to force it off me, questioned it all, and so became more, hype, more aware of myself. After listening to past podcasts, I've been able to make some progress, but it still has a huge impact on my life. Have you any tips on how to help with this? If so, I would be ever so grateful. All right, Paul, uh, thank you so much for writing this in. Um, so I'm gonna do my best to answer this because, so I'll, so I'll be honest. It's, it's a little ambiguous, and I think you're experiencing it as, as ambiguous as well. I mean, you said it kind of just has, has shifted from this hyper-awareness from not one thing in particular. And I'm willing to bet right now, in some small way, you, you wish you could go back to the good old days. Remember when you were just focused on one thing, yet you thought that one thing was just simply the worst? But now it's turned into this whole other thing, and then you long for the days of the simplicity of hyper-awareness about your blinking or breathing or eye floaters or whatever. Most people do this. We, 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 we can remember that, we all can remember, I suppose, that the biggest fear and struggle that we have right now, we can put it in the context of the fullness of our life. The stuff that you and I are worried about or have been worried about a year ago or probably not worried about today, things shift, things change. So the intensity with which we respond to our current fears may not be necessarily warranted. It can help give us a different perspective on each of those little fears that we have, little fears, um, shifting minor fears, big fears, small fears of the, the stuff that we're worried about right now. And to say, I know we feel this huge sense of urgency to fix and to solve and resolve and get rid of and neutralize, but do I really need to? 
because I wasn't worried about that stuff before, or I was, excuse me, I was intensely worried about that stuff before, but now I'm not. Nothing really changed other than now I'm worried about this new thing, and that old thing now became an old thing. This thing that we're worried about now is probably going to become an old thing at some point. Especially we can treat it this way when we've spent all this time, like, like, uh, like Jack, spending all this time thinking about um, the, the, the veracity of this worry. If we haven't gotten to a conclusion, we may not get to one. So we can hold this new fear, this current worry with some, some kid gloves, right? So we'll talk about that. So something to think about. Anyhow, um, but, but Paul, uh, in terms of the hyper-awareness, not on one thing, but uh, on you in general, um, my main question is going to be, well, what do you mean by you in, in general? So is it to just your general physical sensations, your general just body movements, yourself in space, your consciousness, um, just the fact that you're thinking, the awareness of your thinking? It could be anything, right? Um, so I so I don't necessarily know what what um, worry about your or uh, hyper awareness on on me in general means, um, but I would encourage you to try for yourself to break down what you mean by that. Do you mean it's all of my sensations? It's not just my blinking anymore, but I have a, a lot more individual things. So it's my it used to be my blinking, but now it's my blinking and breathing and heartbeat and motions and the sound of my neck muscles in my head when I move and the clicking in my knee. And it's you're just you're so focused on all the things that you do. It might be that, but that can also and it should be broken down into individual little things. They'll also say, it is completely understandable that you tried to get your attention off of yourself. In all honesty, I've likely assigned this um, in the past under some circumstances to try to you know, get your mind off of this. Um, and to be honest, it may help. Um, because, I mean, after all, if the physical sensations aren't important, then why attend to them, right? I mean, I've talked about that a lot. In fact, I think I've, I've, I have, I'm just going to go ahead and say... I probably have, I can't name a specific time, um, advised that part of the treatment is going to be redirection outside of oneself. And I, I, I do believe that to be important. Now, when we do that in a compulsive way, we try to suppress our attention on our internal sensations. And, and we kind of say, well, I'm getting my attention off of this thing. It's it's confusing. I'll say that. It's kind of like saying, well, how, what, is it, what does it mean to shift attention from one part of my existence to another without suppressing the previous one? Well, one way to think about it is like this. So if you look out your window right now, as I am, you can probably see, you will probably see, if you can see, you'll see a lot of things, right? So, you know, I'm looking outside and I, I'm looking at my car. I can see my car from my window. Now, in addition to seeing my car, I see a lot of other things. I see trees. I see a car out of my kind of right peripheral. Um, I also see my sunglasses on my desk. I see my smellifant, which is a wax diffuser in the shape of an elephant. So it smells nice. So it's a smellifant. Um, I see a lot of things. Now, if I turn my attention, if I don't move my head or my eyes, if I turn my attention towards my, well, move my eyeballs, if I move my eyeballs directly to the smellifant, I still see my car. So, turning my attention towards the smellifant does not, does not stop my attention towards or my awareness of my car. I still see both, but I am focusing on the smellifant. 
So similarly, we can turn our attention towards things outside of ourselves while still being aware of our internal physical sensations or thoughts or feelings or whatever the case may be. And that's part of the point. We're not trying to suppress. We're, we're not trying to say either or or. We're trying to say and. It's I'm going to be aware of my internal physical sensations or thoughts or whatever. And this other stuff. I'll ask you this, though, Paul. What are you afraid of? Oftentimes with hyper-awareness, it's going to be that we're going to miss out on life, that we're never going to stop paying attention to our sensations or our thoughts or our feelings, and it's just going to be with us for the rest of our life. Paul, I'll say this. You might. You might be aware of this for the rest of your life. I don't know. All I know is that right now is that you're attending to all of it now. You're attending to you now. Okay. So the way out of this fear, like any other, is to go through it. You are going to have to be willing to have your attention on yourself or the hyper-awareness of everything forever and to be open to the possibility that it'll never go away. Part of that then is to ask, well, what is so bad about that? I mean, it's only you. It's all you that you're paying attention to. You and I, I am my favorite subject. You are your favorite subject. You know, it sounds very arrogant, and, and some of us are going to try to fight against us. Don't fight against that. We are our favorite subject. We are all the stars of our own world, and everybody else is just some co-star. I'll give you an example. You are, your co you are the star of your life, and my dumb voice is just, is just playing a cameo in your life from time to time. But you go on in your life, and you have your friends and your relationships and your work and all that stuff, and I just show up you know, for about an hour a week hour every other week. And you, my dear lovely listeners, are co-stars in my life. I'm the star of my life. I have, I have the Kevin Foss show all the time. And it involves this podcast, it involves my clients, it involves my wife, all the things, right? We are our favorite subject. So the question for you is, well, what's so bad about this? What are the consequences? So obviously what you can do is to start challenging the legitimacy of that story and is that so bad and why is that so bad? You can work with a therapist on with this on how to break that down. Now I'll say this. CBT for OCD and anxiety is little c big B, meaning a little bit of cognitive work and a lot of behavioral work. Big B. So what is the B? What is the behavior? One of the things that we can sometimes do for treatment of hyperawareness is not to just turn our attention away from it. Yes, part of it can be that, and you've heard me yammer on about this already, but one of the things we can do as well is to say, well, what is the problem with my attention on myself or whatever individual sensations that you're having? You're screaming at me right now saying, it's because I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm going to say, that is a lie that your anxiety is telling you. You can stop thinking about it. In fact, you know what will be harder is for you to only think about it. I bet you can't. I bet you can't think about whatever the thing is only for a week, but you can't do it for a day. I bet you can't do it for an hour. I'd love to challenge you to challenge yourself to only think about yourself and whatever the hyper-awareness is for a week. Can you do it? It's not going to break you. It's probably not going to kill you. But I bet you can't do it because you're going to think about other stuff because we all do. No matter what we think about, we're going to think about something else. Because remember how I've told you a billion times that our thoughts are fleeting and fickle? 
They float in, they float out. Some of them, most of them aren't, aren't important. And we're going to randomly get distracted by other stuff. But you're going, ugh, but I can't stop thinking about this. All right, then do that. We'll see if it can happen. I'm willing to bet you're going to spend less time thinking about it than you think. And you might even discover that thinking about it all the time ain't that bad. Now, there are a lot of other things that you can do in this. And again, I'd encourage you to work with a therapist on this. But think about it more. It's called a paradoxical intervention. So, Paul, I'm so glad that my previous episodes on hyper-awareness have been really helpful for you. So, maybe this one will be helpful too. Thanks for the question, and good luck. All right, everyone, this last question comes from Courtney. Courtney says, I have OCD and I struggle intensely with insomnia. I'm afraid of not sleeping so much that I can't sleep. It's hard to know how to cope because with other anxieties, the feared story usually doesn't happen. But my feared story of not sleeping keeps happening and causes the vicious cycle that I feel hopelessly stuck in. I haven't been able to find any resources on how to deal with this particular struggle. Is it ERP? Acceptance? I feel like sleep is a necessity to even be able to deal with OCD, so this further discourages me. Every time I lay down, I get continual whooshes of anxiety that keep me awake, and I don't know how to help myself. I try sleep aid, and it makes my anxiety even worse because I know I'll be that much more tired if I don't sleep, so of course, I don't sleep. By the way, thank you for the podcast. It has given me hope that I can hopefully be free from all this. Courtney, thank you so much for writing this in. Um, I know so many folks out there, so many of my clients, and I'm, I'm pretty sure so many of you out there have trouble sleeping and as, have trouble sleeping as a result of or even independently of your anxiety symptoms. So I am unable to get to everything related to the interaction of OCD, anxiety, and sleep in this one question. Um, one thing to remember is that um, insomnia can mean a lot of things or, or difficulty sleeping can mean a lot of things. Um, and I'll, I'll just be honest, I'm hardly a sleep expert um, professionally and, and I suppose personally too. Um, it's because we can have trouble sleeping at various stages of sleep. So for example, trouble going to sleep, trouble staying asleep, trouble not being able to get back to sleep once we wake up. Um, now there can also be uh, issues with sleep at various different stages of sleep, like getting trouble like having trouble getting into REM sleep or maintaining REM sleep. So I'm, I'm not going to be addressing each and every one of those, um, but I'll just acknowledge that there, that sleep is its, its own world and it's, it's its own field of study and it ain't mine. So that being said, there are a lot of things that we can do to address this. Now, in my brief reading, I, I, I tried to do a little bit of reading on the subject um, because of your question. One of the things I thought was interesting is that uh, in this article was specifically talked about OCD and insomnia, but that they, they found, a, uh, these researchers found an, a sevenfold increase in the likelihood that someone will have insomnia if they have OCD. The researchers also found a link between anxiety, depression, and sleep disturbance, but that simply having one did not mean that you were going to have another, so they weren't causal necessarily, but they all were certainly linked. Additionally, the severity of insomnia is associated with higher levels of anxiety and higher levels of depression. 
So I just thought those couple things were interesting uh, in the course of my reading on this. But so Courtney, so many other people have described that that link or kind of that cyclical thing that happens when we have um, anxiety, depression, and poor sleep. I mean, it's kind of like, for those of you who aren't aware of this cycle, I, though I'm willing to bet a lot of you have noticed this, it's, I mean, we can chicken or the egg this, right? Let's just start with poor sleep. If we get poor sleep, oftentimes that leads to us being less focused, less on the ball the next day, so we aren't as present, and we're less energetic and facing the, the kind of regular struggles of the day, just in, even let alone the anxiety-related fears that we have, Right. So then the impact of this can lead to a reduction of kind of social inter interaction with other people, um, poor productivity, and the combination of some of those things can then reasonably lead to kind of feeling depressed. From a combination of those things, rumination, struggling with our thoughts, um, that kind of um, mental emotional struggle then leads to greater difficulties with sleep because we're up trying to wrestle with our thoughts, trying to try to destroy our fears or even our depression. Sometimes folks will resort to drinking or drugs to get themselves to sleep. Oftentimes that leads to poorer quality of sleep, which then the following day can lead to more anxiety and even more depression. And the cycle continues. So Courtney, I, I, I would wonder if you were in my office, what your main fear with sleep is, because it can be a lot of things. So, the fear is that you said that you, that you won't go to sleep. Okay, well, well then what? Then, you, then over time, if you don't get enough sleep, you'll go crazy? Is it that if you don't get enough sleep, is that you won't be really present in your life, and that would be disastrous to you? Is it that if you don't get enough sleep, you'll do a bad job at work, and you'll end up getting fired? Is it that you won't get enough sleep, your partner will break up with you because you're a zombie in your, in your relationship? I don't know. But simply put is, what is so bad about not sleeping? Sometimes we don't sleep, right? But you're terrified of it. So one of the first things that I would advise you to do is to consider or even work with a therapist on is, what is so bad about this? What are you terrified of? What do you think is going to happen? What are the threats to you or your life or your livelihood or your happiness? And to see if you can rethink the legitimacy of those, to see if all of that is a guarantee, if all of that is a promise and was, is um, equally feared by everybody else. Or if it's the OCD and anxiety double standard, which is it only applies to you. And I don't know. But that may be some stuff to start thinking about and, and, and talking with someone about. Before I go further into some behavioral things that you can do to help uh, uh, get you through this or to help, um, help, you, help you work through it, um, some articles did suggest that insomnia should be considered and treated as its own diagnosis. So along with the OCD and anxiety uh, it, it is that it should be uh, addressed and treated through medication or through other means. So treating the insomnia separately and treating OCD separately. Now, there is going to be a lot of overlap, and I'm going to kind of address some of this. Now, some of the, what I was reading was was also recommending medication. I can't recommend that you, I can't say that you should take medication because 
I ain't a doctor, and that would be practicing medicine without a license. And I choose to not lose my therapist's license um, by saying silly things like that. However, what I would advise you to do is to go work with or go contact a psychiatrist, a doctor that specializes in insomnia or sleep-related disorders, and chat with him or her about this to see what they have to say about um, treatment pop uh, treatment options for you from a, a from a medical perspective um i'm a behaviorist so i'm going to talk about behavioral stuff so as i mentioned before so challenging the legitimacy of the thought or the fear about what's going to go on part of that is is the is the uh, cognitive restructuring piece now as part of cbt for insomnia that's where you're going to start is to is to challenge all these thoughts and to see if we can think about them differently the other things to consider, and this is may may not be the the funnest stuff, and I'm sure you've come across this before, and I'm sure all of the all of us have heard about these things that we can do to help deal with our sleep. Periodically, the news will talk about this. I'm sure every one of our therapists have mentioned this at some point. I'm sure a friend has mentioned this to us. But honestly, the things that can really help with our sleep are going to be practicing good sleep hygiene, stimulus control, which is part of that sleep hygiene, our restrictions, our around sleeping and relaxation exercises. So what does all that mean? So good sleep hygiene, certainly it's going to be different from person to person or from article to article, um, but there are some general things that will help. Some of the things can be keeping your bed reserved for sleep or sex. So not watching TV in bed, not eating in bed, not reading in bed, because we then associate that rectangle to other things other than sleep or sex. It could also be reducing the stimulating things that we do before we go to bed. So not watching a really exciting movie before, like right before we go to bed, um, not uh, watching the news or something terrifying before we go to bed, but instead about an hour to two hours before we go to bed, starting to dim the lights, um, maybe putting on some just, you know, calming music. Um, if we're going to watch something, watching something that's really relaxing or mellow, um, it can even just be turning the TV off and just reading a book and again not reading something that's wildly exciting or mentally challenging right um i know that i'm not going to sleep if i'm going to read like a you know a therapy book or something like that um i will read a comic book in bed because it's going to be boring it's just going to be it, it's not going to be exciting, right? Now, by the way, if a comic book is super exciting for you, this ain't for you. So thinking about what are the things for you that are going to be calming. So doing some of those before you go to bed. Um, it can be also be reducing or stopping eating two hours before you go to sleep. So sometimes we will, you know, eat a whole bunch right before we go to sleep. That can impact how we sleep. So cutting off that about two hours before we sleep. Um, some of the other things related to sleep restriction I mentioned. So that's going to be resisting napping during the day. Because um, if we nap during the day, it can mess with our sleep, uh, sleep routines at night. Now we're going to say... But I'm exhausted, right? I just need a quick little cat nap in the middle of the day. You probably don't. And furthermore, if we're trying to get back on a good sleep schedule, holding out, I know you're going to be tired, but 
good. You'll be tired so you can crash at the end of the day. And relaxation therapy. So some things you can do are, you know, having calm music. You can do a, um, a guided meditation. Those can be really helpful. Breathing or, or um, relaxation or bodily relaxation exercises, something called a progressive muscle relaxation exercise can be helpful. And if you Google all these things, you'll be able to find all of them. But these can also be, be really helpful in creating the right environment for sleep. Aside from those things, you also said that you do have OCD separately from insomnia. So whatever your other obsessions are, working and challenging those and improving on those can really help the insomnia. So whether it's the cognitive restructuring piece, whether or not you're, you're not doing exposures or you're doing compulsions all night, that is going to impact your sleep, et cetera, et cetera, and the cycle goes on. So I highly encourage you to work on those two. Also for the insomnia, you mentioned that you, you, you get those, those whooshes, right? Those whooshes of anxiety. Well, you can practice what's called interoceptive exposures, and those are going to be related to, or those are going to be treatment things that we would do in panic disorder. Um, if you go back and listen to my panic attack episode, um, uh, there'll be some more information about that. But essentially, trying to get used to those whooshes, and I would say during the day, not right before you go to sleep, but during the day, Practice bringing on the whooshes if you can, which will involve thinking about things, um, watching things, uh, trying to put yourself in that mindset to bring on the whooshes so you can say, bring them on, whoosh. It's not a problem. It's not scary. It's just these feelings. And by the way, you might get the whooshes. It's just a physical sensation, right? They're annoying and they have they, they cause you to have trouble sleeping. But we want the whooshes themselves to be the problem, not our worrying about or responses to the whooshes being the problem. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Furthermore, some things that you can do, and this is going to be kind of pulling from treatment for nocturnal panic attacks. So my advice would be, in your course of trying to get to some sleep, try to go to sleep. Sleep hygiene, turn the lights down, don't eat right before you go to bed, all the stuff I just I just said. Try to go to sleep. Now, if you're in bed for like 20-30 minutes and you can't sleep, get up. Get out of bed. Don't fight it because we don't want to associate our bed with fighting with sleep. Get up. Go do something productive. Go do something mellow. Sit in a chair and read a book. Don't turn all the lights on. Sit in a chair, you know, have a low light, read a book, kind of get bored and tired again. And then after some time, try to go to bed again and see if you can sleep. Now, keep doing that process. Eventually, you'll probably get some sleep. It might not be the full eight hours that you want, but you'll get something. Now, if you, if you are able to get to sleep, but then you wake up in a panic attack, and that's what a nocturnal panic attack is. I think it's something like one in four folks who have uh, panic attacks will get nocturnal panic attacks. Um, they're awful and they're frustrating. They're uncomfortable. They're not the end of the world. They're just inconvenient, like pretty much everything else we're talking about. So what do we do? We don't just sit there and fight trying to go back to sleep. You're awake and you're panicking. Get up, get out of bed, go do something productive, read a book, watch something mellow on TV. And after you relax a little bit and that panic and that anxiety starts to come down, then get back to sleep. Now, I'm reading into this. I don't know if you're getting uh, those panic attacks. Point still stands. If you wake up, get up. Try to get tired again, and then uh, and then try it again. 
eventually your body is going to get some sleep. Eventually it's going to reset itself. Now, of course, medical uh, intervention could be beneficial, but again, talk to a real doctor about that, not me, the fake doctor. Lastly, doing exposures for the feared story in relation to this. So again, what is so terrifying about not getting to sleep? So scripting that story out, writing it like it's actually happening, facing that fear that it's not going to happen, or facing that fear that it is going to happen. You can even watch movies related to people not sleeping. Fight Club, Fight Club is the one that's coming to mind for me right now. Um, the, the, the whole like, first half of the movie is just about how he's not sleeping and all the weird stuff that happens around him. If that triggers your anxiety, watch Fight Club a lot. So it's a really good one. So trying to face those fears and tolerate the possibility that maybe you're never going to sleep and then whatever the subsequent fears related to that are, you're going to have to be open to the possibility that they will in fact happen in order to overcome this. So Courtney, in the effort of trying to be truncated and not yammering on too much, and I fear that I already have, I'm going to end it there. But again, Courtney, thank you so much for this question and good luck. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode. The the episode with three questions this is the most, I think it's been the most questions I've ever answered in one show that uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't. I'm not doubting myself. Maybe it was, maybe it's not. Who knows? Anyhow, thank you so much for making it through this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took something away from it that was beneficial. Um, so, uh, everybody, if you like the show, go over to uh, uh, iTunes or wherever else you uh, listen to your podcasts. Uh, give me a review. Give me a like. Give me a thumbs up, whatever it is over there. Most importantly, everybody, I don't advertise for this show. If you like the show, tell somebody about it. Some of the best advertising that this podcast can ever get is word of mouth. Um, that being said, if you do write a review, you and do uh, uh, give this uh, show a star. It does help other people find this. It moves me up in the rankings, I think, um, somewhere out there, um, and more people will hear it. That's the whole point of this, everybody. So um, if you have a question that you would like me to answer for a future episode, again, go to fearcastpodcast.com. You can ask a question over there. Uh, please remember to uh, check uh, Kelly, Frankie, and I out this coming Friday. That is going to be June 19th at 1.30. Now, if this changes for whatever unforeseeable event, I'm sorry. If you are in the future and you missed this uh, and you would like to listen to it, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. If not, it really wasn't that important. Anyways, again, if you have a question, go to the podcast, check us out over there on the Instagrams. I think I've said everything. All right. Please remember, everybody, that uh, the FearCast podcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. Uh, if you have questions about this, if you have problems with some of this, and uh, you have questions about whether or not uh, some of this should be or could be implemented in your own treatment, talk with your treatment provider if you have questions about how to get into treatment and um, uh, get on the ball with your own anxieties or, or depressions or struggles go over to fearcastpodcast.com there's going to be some resources and references for you there ah, all right everyone thank you for listening and until next time take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously bye <laughs>